Hello and welcome to episode 275 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. I love the accent on the of. <laughs> Who was there? Getting in of the Fabulous Pelton Cast. Okay. Let's, I don't know if that's an accent. Let's get it. it is an accent. Uh, and we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Seahawks. Wow. Was that a better of? I don't know. Or worse. Uh, hello. We're back in person. I'm back from Las Vegas. Hello. <laughs> That sounded mournful that I'm back in person. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get started with this week's beer, which comes from Bad Jimmy's Brewing in Freelard, I guess. This is why it's mournful. <laughs> yes, it is. That's a good point. Uh, as we'll talk about later in this pod, I got the Bad Jimmy. I went to Bad Jimmy's Brewing while eating fried chicken from ST Hooligans as part of our search for Seattle's best fried chicken. And it was a delightful experience. I had a... I forget what I what I had. It was a something something fruit infused. It was quite good. A wheat ale that was fruit infused. I'll have to look that up on their website. But I also picked up a six pack to go of their golden ale, which is what we were the Ballard golden ale, which is what we'll be drinking today. That's a golden ale constructed from two row and Vienna malts with flaked maize and wildflower honey for extra flavor. And it's a good thing I got some to go because you got nothing. Wow. <laughs> So my experience going to, oh, we were going to ST Hooligans again, again, hear about it more later on the podcast. And I am famished going to ST Hooligans. It has been a long day. I'm dealing with my 10 to 15 children. I drive there. They're in the car. Uh, I go into the ST Hooligans. It is shockingly busy inside of the ST Hooligans, which I guess is mostly understaffed than it, more than it was busy. And I see through the back of ST Hooligans. I kind of saw the sign walking in. And then you look at it through the back and you're like, what's that back there? There's this amazing patio right behind ST Hooligans. And there lies Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company. So I put in my order at ST Hooligans. I order no drinks. and Because I'm like, I'm going to go wait inside of Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company and drink a beer back there while I wait for the chicken and my 10 to 15 children in the car because that's what parenting is about. So I put in the order. <laughs> yes, and Mrs. Fantasy Mrs. Fantasy Genius. Genius would like to comment with her not to demonstrate the safety of them being in the car, more to demonstrate that I, she was upset <laughs> she was that I left lot. her in the car while I was planning on going to the Bad Jimmy's. So That's fair. Uh, I put in my order, I go back to the car, and I'm like, yeah, I gotta go. <laughs> and I make it seem like I'm gonna go check on the chicken, but oh. actually I'm going to Bad Jimmy. No, I said that I, that's where I was going. Uh, so I walk back to the Bad Jimmy's, and there's kind of strange stuff going on. It doesn't feel quite normal. Uh, there were people in like places where they shouldn't have been and not people behind the bar. So I'm kind of just standing there, and I'm looking at the beers that they have at Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company, and I'm like... This beer looks phenomenal. Usually when you go into a brewery, you're like, yeah, okay, I can do that, or I can do that, or I can do that. There was like five to six beers where I was like, damn, Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company, I want to try it all. There was like a spicy beer. There's a habanero beer. Habanero amber. Uh, I want to try that. I had the blood orange honey wheat. Do you have the menu up? They I, I they do. also had like good names for the beers. I, was, I never once heard of Bad Jimmy's Brewing Company before this. Yeah, I, the, I'm familiar with it before. I was like... Okay, Ballard Gold, I could do that. That Blood Orange Honey Wheat, that sounded good. Habanero Amber. Wait, there was more. 
uh, the the Berliner Weiss. Uh, grilled grilled, grilled grapefruit. grapefruit. Grilled grapefruit Berliner Weiss. Anyway, I'm standing there, and the person's like, are you here for the special event? They also have like, a lot of seltzers there, which you may have been interested in. Oh, they did have, they had like the homemade seltzers from Bad Jimmy's. Correct. So I was like, they were like, are you here for the private event? And I was like, I was going to get a beer. <laughs> and the person there was like, honestly, it was like a little bit, it was like a little bit sassy. It was like a little bit mean. They were like, ooh, about that. Ooh. And they're like, we're closed for a private event. And then I walked back, tail between my legs, no habanero amber. And I went back to the car to meet my 10 to 15 children. Just such an epic fail. You failed me, Bad Jimmies. And then I called you to complain about the situation at Bad Jimmies because that's what we do. And and you were like, yeah, it was pretty nice for me when I ate the chicken and sat at Bad Jimmy's. They had the mister going to deal with the heat on Saturday. It was a great time. But you got the golden nail now. All right. Well, and we're going to toast to that. You better make it up to me, Bad Jimmy's. We're going to toast to a few different things this Hello. week. Starting with the Seattle Storm, adding the inaugural WNBA Commissioner's Cup, although not apparently a cup. No one drank out of it that I saw. It's just a trophy. But adding that to their trophy case, which previously included four. WNBA championships. There we go. This is actually a trophy. This beer, <laughs> I would say this beer is fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's solid. It's uh, not as good, I thought, as the blood orange wheat that I had. Uh, congrats next to Brianna Stewart and wife Marta Jargay Casadamon, who shared that they welcomed their first child, Ruby, Hello. via surrogate last week. Ruby was born August 9th. I believe that was Monday. One or yeah, one day after Stewart won her second gold medal and was named MVP of the Olympic Women's Basketball Tournament in three days before Stewart was the MVP of said Commissioner's Cup. Wow. That's quite a week for Brianna Stewart. Monster. Let's put it that way. Uh, Stewart and Jargay were engaged in May while she was at training camp with the Phoenix Mercury before announcing her retirement and married in a small ceremony in July prior to Stewart departing Seattle to prepare for the Olympics. Uh, they documented this in a video put together by Together, the website that Sue Bird is one of the founders of. So, uh, very cool story. And uh, something they, they basically kept secret from everyone other than Sue Bird and, and uh, Jewel Lloyd, I think, were the two people basically who knew until this happened. Really? Everybody on the team even? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, pretty wild. Uh, next up, congrats to Sounders assistant and former player Gonzalo Pineda, who was named head coach of Atlanta United last Thursday. Sounders also losing their other top assistant with Jimmy Traore leaving for a job in Europe that... Has yet to be announced. He's still with the team for the next couple of weeks here before that they can hire a replacement on the bench. Uh, Pineda was set to take over the job. Unfortunately, tested positive for COVID-19, uh, despite, of course, being fully vaccinated. So had to uh, remotely do his introductory press conference. Staying on the Sounders front, congrats to MLS Player of the Week, Raul Rui Diaz. And that's it for our toasts. So the last thing we have to mention oh here my. before we get into it is it's time I, I promised on the pod a couple weeks ago, I said I can't think about fantasy football until I can't get back from Vegas. I'm back. I'm thinking about it now. So sign up now by emailing peltoncast at gmail.com. Please send us an email, even if you were in one of the leagues last year. Uh, our plan is we'll probably try to draft the week of August 30th, so I need to get these set up in the next week or so here. Are you going to be contacting the people who participated last year? I will certainly be contacting. Curtis contacting the people who are in the uh, Champions League. <laughs> That's all you'll commit to. Friends and family. If you're good enough, we'll contact you. 
Last year, it got a little unwieldy in terms of the numbers. How many teams? How many leagues were there last year? Four leagues or three? There were at least three. I think there were three. I think three is reasonable. So your ultimate goal with Pelton Cast Fantasy is your all-time goal has been to basically have European soccer-style relegation and promotion, which we don't necessarily need through three leagues. But there is a Pelton Cast Champions League that exists, and that league, despite leading the point scored totals last year in the Pelton Cast Champions League will not feature the Fantasy Genius. <laughs> Fantasy Genius hasn't won a title in a while. You didn't win any of the leagues last year, did you? No. Yeah. I the leagues, I was only in one. You were in two. Well you're two. you did not fare as well in if we're being honest here, you were in two leagues. That's why you're gonna be back in the champions league. I'm only in one league in the fucking Champions League, right? I'm not playing against weaker competition in other leagues, just setting myself up because I'm the commissioner to advance. I don't know if I necessarily set myself up as the commissioner. Uh, yes, it is It is easier for us to make the Champions League, uh, for me to make the Champions us. League because I had multiple no teams. Us. Before this year, you had, last year you had multiple teams. Uh, I made the Champions League, and then I scored the most points of any participant in the Pelton Cast Champions League. First in points, fifth in rankings, will not be part. People want to compete against somebody who can score that many points, but you say no. <laughs> well, we'll see if everyone who was who qualified for the Champions League returns again this year. It's possible that not everyone will, and then you may sneak your way back in. Sneak my way in. It's another podcast sneak. Oh, there you go. Mr. Ninth place over here. I scored 1,808 points, and you scored 1,544. And you're telling me that I'm sneaking my way back in? Yeah, look at my other team. Wow, the, the Carcino family did not fare well. Number one... <clears throat> And then in points, numbers nine or, or 10, 11, and 12. Well. The famous cousin Katie, Kyle, and you were the bottom three in points. Are you all even competing? Everyone knows that points scored is not a very good measure of fantasy football prowess. <laughs> Mariner style, you just look at wins. <laughs> very much Mariner style. <laughs> uh, in the Pelton Cast Economist Friends League. The Pagliacci Primos finished. <sighs> hmm. you, know, you know how I get to the archives here, actually. You seem to have done it, so I guess it's... It you just click be. back to 2020. Who won this league? Did Glenn, Glenn Christie won the league, right? That sounds right. Oh, good it's for been him. a long time. Good for Glenn Christie. <laughs> and bad for you. Wow. Bad for the likes of me. Or I believe that was Chris Wheeler who won. I, I I don't know. It was a long time ago. Suffice it to say. That was Chris Wheeler who won the league. Okay. Uh, now that we've, we've settled that, uh-huh. do you want to get into our search for Seattle's best fried chicken? Do we just one more time on the fantasy football podcast at gmail.com. And obviously we'll put that in the post show notes as well. If you'd like to compete against Kevin in the. <clears throat> Champions League. <laughs> the mockery of whatever you consider a Champions League. Or me in whatever league you assign me to. <laughs> Pelton <Cast> losers. <laughs> Pelton losers. Oh, no. We're not going to call it that. Wow. Did Ben make it into the Champions League? Ben Baldwin? I don't think so, but I don't... Again, it's happened nine months ago. Do you know how much shit has happened since then? 
Put me in the same league as him. There's been like two NBA seasons <laughs> since the end of the fantasy football season. I'm pretty confident. Don't, don't fact check, but I'm pretty confident of that. That's right. I had a fight about what team Alex Caruso was on earlier. Oh, no. <laughs> Were you on the right side of it? No. Luca was on the right side. Of course he was. <laughs> well done. Well done, little Kevin. It's like, I would know if Alex Crusoe left the Lakers. He's a goddamn national treasure. Oh, not to, the Lakers did not treasure him enough to pay the luxury tax necessary to uh, bring him back. For the second week of the knockout stages of our search for Seattle's best fried chicken, we welcome in Talkin' Taco Time co-host Chris Smith, his third Pelton brother, to help us choose between not Pioneer Square DNA, which was a late cut from the competition because fried chicken, <laughs> bone-in fried chicken is no longer on their menu. Instead, it was six-seed ST Hooligans against promoted sisters and brothers. So thanks for helping us out, Chris. Oh, yeah. Anytime. Uh, I'm just glad that you happened to text me literally while I was in Ballard. <laughs> and I just I went to ST Hooligans like three minutes after you text me because because you text me. I did not include Tristan on that thread. And then you texted the group, all three of us. And Tristan was like, wow, we should have him judge. I was like, what do you think is happening here? I know I said it. I said Chris should judge. And then you texted that picture. And I was like, oh my God, this is incredible. But it happens that quick, guys. It's, I, that's why I thought it couldn't have been because of how fast it was. I think Kevin said that he texted you on the side. It's like, All right, fine. It was remarkable. Uh, do, you, do you want to tell us a little about your fried chicken credentials? Uh, fuck fried chicken credentials. Um, that was a child who's too old. He knows better than to come <laughs> on the podcast. I I grew up eating a lot of uh, Albertsons fried chicken. I guess would probably be the main fried chicken in my life. Never really any uh, homemade stuff that I can recall from any of the. Well, all the people in my family are white, so <laughs> we we didn't have fried crispy skin on most of our chicken. Uh, but you know, went to Azell's in the younger days, so it's kind of Albertsons and Azell's. That's it. We we've kind of covered this <laughs> about about it's very how, similar. Yes, yeah, Safeway <laughs> and Albertsons are probably the most consumed fried chicken of people who are listening to this podcast in their lives yeah i mean i guess i think everyone goes to kfc but it's nothing that i would stick as a feather in my cap (laughs) as a credential (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right well let's talk about this two these two locations i want to talk about dne first because this is this is the first for a search for seattle's best it's we true. have never once had a contender take themselves out of the race. I mean, it'd be the weird. Mobile if ter- style took themselves. They choose not to participate in the search for Seattle's best chicken. I mean, it'd be weird if Toshi's teriyaki was all of a sudden like, yeah, we're not doing teriyaki anymore. I mean, it's a little different. Like we mentioned this when we talked about D&E, the fried chicken, they're, they're actually kind of a fancy dining establishment. And then they just had the fried chicken and it became overwhelmingly popular with the chicken sandwich in particular. So they've stuck with, they still have tenders on the menu and they still have wings on the menu, but they don't have a full array of bone-in fried chicken, which is why we decided to, uh, to, to make the change here, despite the fact that they easily could have won this competition. It's true. It, were we not supposed to have tenders or? Well, it's, yeah, you just, you <laughs> did you have tenders somewhere? <laughs> 
No, I mean, they're they're eligible as part of the search. It's okay. Just, we've decided that bone-in fried chicken is preferable in basically any situation to tenders. So, so we could have done DNA tenders. We could have hypothetically, okay. yes. I mean, okay, we can well, still I go got, back there too. There's I got stuff. one tendies, one bone-in. So you know, that makes sense. Uh, okay, so we heard your fried chicken credentials. Uh, <laughs> or lack and we, thereof and we felt like sisters and brothers was the location which felt the most like it should have been a contender in this tournament but also it got bumped up to the three seed all of a sudden and i think st hooligans even in the initial bracket that we put together as the six seed was probably a bit under in this bracket uh maybe possibly because what we had the first time we didn't have the spicy the first time no we did and then, well we did have the spicy but we had both the spicy and the original and i don't think you had a thigh for either correct that's what we sort of determined is that i had i ended up with two breasts and you ended up with two thighs and you definitely got the better of that exchange absolutely i would be happy to end up with any (laughs) one of those four things (laughs) all right chris tell us first about sd hooligans you were right there you were able to go to it quickly okay before i get to the chicken here because this was like a complete um, surprise in my day. So I kind of want to go through the whole experience of this place. Absolutely. Boom. Al texts me. I'm literally like three minutes away from the place. He's like, you think you could go to a couple chicken places? I'm like, what, which ones said ST hooligans. I'm with my friend. We just watched the Liverpool game. He's driving. I say, I say it out loud. Hooligans. He's like, I know where that's at. I was like, do you want to go right now? Yeah, let's go. So we went. They had uh, it was pretty early in the day, like noon on Saturday. So there was like nobody in there, but there was just like one bartender guy. Like I guess there was a couple of people outside, but one Filipino bartender holding it down. They have these like crazy fermented jars up top of, above the bar that uh, they make these like fermented drinks. Pretty good beer selection. I had. Um, I don't know. I had some light. Then I had like a couple sours, but uh, excellent. Now to the chicken. <laughs> they have uh, you know like the three piece fried chicken goes with like the macaroni salad and some coleslaw, couple pickles. They have an option regular spicy. So I went. I went with the spicy just because that's what I prefer. Um, the only thing is like it's pretty wet for fried chicken. The spicy. I don't know if the regular is wet at all, but no, the regular okay. is pretty basic yeah. fried chicken. Okay, yeah. So I was a little surprised on that, but so it's kind of you know it doesn't have exactly the same texture that you're looking for, and just a straight up, you know, bone in fried chicken, but very good. Like the skin is like still crispy, even though it's wet. Like the chicken was pretty good cooked and not overcooked uh, the macaroni salad was really good i've never had the macaroni salad. i've done hush puppies both times yeah i, I oh, did shit. have i ordered both the mac i kept the mac salad as my standard side and then just added hush puppies on the top and got i think a, a six pack of hush puppies from the happy hour menu and that was inappropriate about that was oh, a, yes. a perfect number <laughs> so i i did uh I ordered it to go. And then, as I mentioned at the top of the pod, took it over to bad Jimmy's brain and was able to eat it fresh right there. Something Tristan was denied 
doing what sadly broke my heart bad jimmy's and so i i thought i ordered the original because i when we when we reviewed this when we went there the first time i said i preferred the original to the spicy i got the spicy and upon further review i may have been wrong i think the spicy is probably the better choice here so it'll be interesting to try it side by side but i i definitely liked it this time yeah, the spice definitely has a good uh, flavor to it. Not yeah. just that it's spicy, but it's the spicy flavor. The, they definitely, these two locations definitely approach spice in two radically different ways, which is you know, <laughs> yeah. sisters and brothers. It's it's a dried fried chicken, right? It's it's a rub that's part of the skin and, you know, that's not wet at all. It's very, very crunchy, sisters and brothers. Uh Chris, do you want to tell us about your experience going there? Uh, first of all, is the Damned a punk band that you guys have ever heard of? Absolutely, they are. Damn, damn, damn. Okay, so the, I don't. I just Maybe, randomly. Sorry, it's what what the song is called. <laughs> <laughs> I randomly saw a tweet today about that band, and uh, I was like, "How? I don't know them." But when I went in to Sisters and Brothers today, the the. Uh, lady up front had a, the damned shirt on. So I don't know. I thought that was weird. But uh, Sisters and Brothers used to be in Georgetown. Nice little quaint place. Pretty small right now, there. Literally right across the street from Boeing Field. Yeah. You could sit there, eat some chicken, watch some planes fly off. Now it's in like a very weird place in my opinion, but uh, I don't think it's bad. Like I don't know if I ever went inside the place that was occupying that building before, but it's very interesting inside. It's like way bigger than I thought. Yeah. It's almost, it's kind of like a fun house with all the mirrors. You don't really know. Like uh, she asked me if I wanted to, you know, get a drink at the bar while I waited for the food to go. And then she was like, I can show you where the bar is. Like, it's that confusing, I guess that they I've have never to, seen, I didn't even know there they, was a bar. I walked in to go to, to the bathroom like, and went way around more than I needed to go to get there. And then, then took the shorter route as I came, came back. Yeah. They had to show me, I guess, but, uh, so th- it was pretty quick. I had, uh, I did chug a couple Rainier's 12 ounce, 12 ounce cans. They didn't have any hams, which was my first choice, but I feel like it's like the Loretta's of fried chicken. I think that's that's spot on. Yeah, I, what struck me about seeing the interior of, this, of uh, Sisters and Brothers now in, I guess, inner bay slash lower Queen Anne, wherever you want to call it there, mm-hmm. is they recreated the vibe of the location in Georgetown, except it's way bigger now. It's like three times as big as that place was kind of small, but it's the same vibe that they had there, which is a little dive bar-y, but you know, hip dive bar, I guess. Yeah, it's definitely like that, still that Georgetown vibe. Even though when they were in Georgetown, they were kind of off away from all the other. Yeah, yeah, they're away from the strip. Yeah. So, I mean, they're still away from most everything, but uh, they're close, not close to a taco time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. And they're not far away from some really good uh, fried chicken, even though I, did, I didn't know about the bone in situation here and the hierarchy of that. I just went with what I was feeling at the moment, which was I got an order of just the naked tendies and then the Seattle hot tendies. Mm. 
Now you, you said you were saving one of those for lunch. Which one did you eat? For well, dinner? no. So I had a piece of each. Okay. I mean, these are, I mean, what you get, if you look at the menu, $15 chicken tendies. I mean, three big ass pieces yeah. and the side, which I got mac and cheese, which was, you know, it's mac and cheese. So it's fine, but not great. Yeah. It's not the, it's not the standout of the menu there. I probably need to explore the side studio space a little more than I have because I've stuck loyally to the mac and cheese. (laughs) I got mine and ate it on the patio there outside and had a rainier to uh, accompany it. And one of the things that struck me is we go back to the Modelo spice scale that Tristan invented on this podcast earlier this year. This was not a full rainier spice level, even at the medium, the Seattle hot. I, I still had rainier left as I was that I had to finish before I left. I, I finished eating before I finished drinking. So that was notable. You know, there's a lingering spice level to the Nashville style hot chicken that they're serving at sisters and brothers, but it wasn't as aggressively in your face as I was expecting. I would say Seattle style, the medium they call Seattle style for the record. Seattle hot. Seattle hot. Seattle hot. Seattle hot. That's Wait, like the like, lowest level, I think. No, mild is the lowest level. Naked. Medium. Naked. Seattle Na- no, it's naked and then Seattle hot. That's why I just went with that because I just was like, I don't want to get too crazy. So I just was like, give me the regular, give me the lowest spice. Yeah. But it's like on a par with what, you know, they're the ST Holies is calling it spicy Seattle. Like that's the same concept. Yes. Yeah, that, that it's, I don't it's, think it's the, the heat is, medium, I don't think the heat is very different. Yeah. It's just, it's medium, but there's four levels. Sure. <laughs> so medium is a two out of four in this scenario. Okay. Well, I don't know how many people are in ordering the insane. I don't know. I actually am kind of curious how many people are ordering the insane. <laughs> I'd like to know as well. It's, it's the people that are ordering insane are definitely people like us that they already they went and then they're like, yeah, let me fucking try that. Like I don't, you know, there's probably a couple insane people that get it right off the bat. But. I mean, the thing with the Nashville hot chicken in particular is like, there's two different things. There's the heat when you're eating it. And then there are the lingering effects. And those are two different things <laughs> in a different way than some other spicy food, I would say. Yes. I feel I'm pretty blessed with, uh, I don't really, I'm not too pained by lingering effects too often when it comes to the spicy food or anything like that. But I would say the, the spicy had a good flavor, not too hot. Um, but the naked was kind of like a good, better flavor, just in my opinion. Okay. Like if it had the sure same flavor, it was like a little bit spicier, it was cool. But and then there is like a tiny bit of wetness to the to the hot, I feel like, at least as evidenced by my pieces of bread. When I took the chicken out, true. like yeah. there's, there's you like, need that you can see some sauce. Yeah. You can see it like a little bit of sauce from the spicy on the bread. And, but the pickles were really good too. Oh, excellent pickles. I, I think for me with the sisters and brothers, I'm going to go into my, my pick here, but the, the difficult thing is I think that the tenders might, they might be better than the bone and fried chicken at sisters and brothers. And I'll preface this by saying that I love sisters and brothers in every way, the whole vibe of it, the where the locations are, you know, having been in that kind of strange spot across from Boeing field in Georgetown, being at this kind of weird place in like an old Chinese restaurant in lower queen Anne, and that they have 
you know, I wish the Rainier Tall Boys were like two dollars, or the Rainiers were two dollars instead of four dollars, and I wish that they were Tall Boys. Right? Yeah, because it's like you know, you just have to have Rainier Tall Boys. Like when she shooting. brought me, it's gonna be a lost brought, leader. She walked across out from the bar and she's opening the beer, bringing it to me, and I was like, "Fuck, it's twelve ounces." Exactly. That's like. <laughs> It's uncomfortable to see a Rainier in a 12 ounce can. Right? I mean, nobody's just nobody's ever been excited about the 12 ounce Rainier because you're always hoping it's a tall boy instead. Exactly. And you're like this at the very most for 12 ounces, it should be three dollars. That should be the max of what you're paying for it. Right? Yeah, that's it what be- I drink at home. OK, 12 ounce yeah. Rainiers because yeah. they're cheap. But I feel like the actual bone in fried chicken, they give you a leg and part of a thigh. But you kind of don't get the real benefits of the chicken thigh. It's almost like it ends up being the worst of both worlds when they do that. And so we've experienced a bunch of kind of strange ways to approach fried chicken and how it's cut and, you know, how the chicken is made. This one, for me, the issue was it's almost like there's two separate layers. There's a fried layer and then there's the chicken inside. And it was Mm -hmm. like the fried, you crunch it and then a bunch of it falls off or whatever. And I'm not going to like honestly pick up that fried and eat it on its own necessarily because i don't know if the flavor Wait, you're not until not. later not until later or yeah you, you eat it at the end you sprinkle it in your mac and cheese you know what i'm saying That's, i'm into that i mean it, it's <laughs> good like i i like the flavor of it but it's not that spicy and it's not that flavorful and the cut of chicken isn't quite perfect and the sd hooligan spicy adult chicken even though i feel like having wet chicken is a little bit it's a teensy bit of a cheat Ultimately, what we have to come down to in the search is what tastes best and what do I enjoy eating the most. And the situation for me, I mentioned earlier about how I couldn't go to the bad Jimmy's. I was shut out from the bad Jimmy's. And Why? Even then, <laughs> I went. I went uh, to the, the bad Jimmy's. There was a, uh, private, <laughs> a private event going on. And oh, I was man. so sad. And I was like, I just want these beers that look so good. Can I have them? Uh, <laughs> I could have them. I'm eating it in my car. I had to wait like 40 minutes for it. It was like ultimately kind of a bad experience overall. There was no dine-in option or? I could have dined in, but I had 10 to 15 children in the car. Ah, shit. I'm, I'm literally eating the chicken while driving. Mrs. Fantasy Genius is screaming at me that I'm going to hit other cars while I'm driving and eating fried chicken. I'm like, I do this shit all the time. Cool. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, and no. Even through <sighs> all of that, sisters and brothers, I sat on the patio. I wish that one of you would have been there. I sat on the patio. The sun was going down. I was drinking a Rainier Small Boy. It was pretty much the perfect scenario. <laughs> And I still prefer the ST Hooligans fried chicken. Wow. Did you have, and you had just had the regular or the spicy at Hooligans? I had the spicy. Man. Yeah. I mean, I didn't have the bone in at Sisters and Brothers. So I don't know. I just, I was definitely feeling the, the breadedness and the flavor of Sisters and Brothers that I did not get the Hooligans chicken. So, yeah. So that's is that your pick? Best. You're picking your sisters pick and brothers. Sisters and brothers. I love yeah. that. All, all the for the first two rounds of these, we've had split decisions so far. <laughs> all right. I mean, Kevin. I yeah. Yeah, we're again putting all the power in my hands to determine this. Who is going to advance to the next round? Is it going to be the sixth seed, ST Hooligans? 
Is it or, going to be the 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 coming out of the tunnel late, the contender <laughs> we didn't even know would be participating? One of potentially the best bars in Seattle, sisters and brothers. Unseated. Uh again for a second consecutive week. I agree with Tristan on this one. <laughs> it pains me to do it. You know how much it pains me to do it, but you nailed it with the lack of the marriage, the relationship between the breading and the chicken itself. And look, that's picking nits. That's a quibble. But we're searching for Seattle's best fucking fried chicken here. So quibbles matter. And SD Hooligans, you said it when we went there the first time that fried chicken has a new name and that's SD Hooligans. <laughs> and I got to say, you might have been onto something here. Wow. It's making the semifinals and it is a real contender to get on and advance all the way to the final of our search for Seattle's best fried chicken. I will have to say you guys are right about the chick. Like when I was eating the tendies from sisters and brothers, it was like the breading was just like coming completely apart from the chicken, but it still tastes both things tasted. Yeah. It's not, it's not a terrible situation by any means. Again, it's, it's a quibble more than anything else, but, uh, all right. Well, we have two finalists set next week. I Tristan, I, are you going to be able to eat fried chicken next weekend? When when are you back in Seattle? Uh, no, I'm not. I get back at like 11 p.m. You should well, just do try do it like an honorary fried chicken or whatever food you guys are doing at the time. If you if you're on the road, both of you guys. You're like, oh, we're looking for Seattle's best this, but I'm in Baltimore this weekend, so I'm going to see. I'm just going to go on whatever the internet says is the best of that in this city. Just, you know, throw it in a little spice. I feel like you got to go for wire fit, though. If you're going to have to get you a a lake trout, lake trout first off, and then then pit beef. That's the other thing that comes up a lot in the wire. Sandwich. All right. Those things sound whatever you just said sounds gross. I don't even know if it was English. <laughs> lake trout and pit beef. <laughs> There's no lakes. There's no trout, but they've got lake trout. Mm-mm. <laughs> this makes me want to watch homicide life on the streets. All right. Well, we'll have to figure out exactly what we're doing next week so that we can actually uh, Tristan can actually eat the chicken for next week's competition. Because one of the things we learned in doing this is Seattle, like a severe labor shortage of cooks, wait staff, front of house. And so all of these chicken locations are closed Monday and Tuesday, with the exception of Heaven Set, which is open seven days a week. So a legitimate challenge in trying to eat the uh, fried chicken if you're out of town until Monday and Tuesday. <laughs> what, do, what do we have left in the search? So the four or five is. The four or five would be fats and heaven sent, and the one eight oh, wow. is cookies and and then uh, simply soulful. Okay, where's fats? Fats is in the central district. Oh, okay, right near Garfield. Uh, so we are. Well, Chris is on the line. Going to talk a little bit about the Sounders, who have gotten a pair of wins in the past week here, a dominant. 6-2 win in the Derby match over the rival Portland Timbers Sunday night on national TV at, at 7 p.m. to beat the Heat in Portland. And the hottest thing in Portland turned out not to be the weather. It turned out to be the Sounders attack, getting a pair of goals in the first half from Freddie Montero, both kind of against the run of play. Portland generally dominated the first half. And when they equalized not long after halftime, it's like, uh-oh, here we go. Uh 
They seem to be in control. But then the Sounders scored four unanswered, starting with a well Ruiz free kick in the 55th minute to give the Sounders the lead. He scored again, finishing a rebound of a Nico Lodero free kick that was spilled by Timbers keeper Alyaz Ivicic. And then Jimmy Madrona with a wonder strike. One of the like most powerful goals you will possibly see off the bottom of the crossbar crossbar and in and the newcomer Nicola Benize finishes the scoring in the final moments moments on his Sounders debut for the oui, oui. biggest win in Derby history. Incredible stuff for the Sounders. It well it's insane. And plus before that they played Tigres and won three to nil. I mean they just won three games in like six days or or some crazy shit like that. Six uh, seven or yeah, with another game coming up. And then tonight versus Dallas uh, was a little nervous, especially with the lineup to put out. Yeah, you definitely know. A, a substitute lineup with these three games in seven days, four in 12 days, if you go back. So uh, no Montero, no Rui Diaz in the starting lineup. Rui Diaz comes on as a sub. Uh, d- didn't see Joao Paulo start this game either. He also came in off the bench. And Rudiaz, moments after coming in, his lone goal in the 63rd minute. 20 seconds, Al. 20 seconds he was on the field before he scored. It's weird because there looked to be at least 10 to 15 seconds of build-up play before the goal. Because I only saw the (laughs) highlight. I caught the last few minutes of this live. Yeah, he came on the field. And then the next thing I knew, literally, was that he scored. And then um, for some reason, Casey Keller was like, is it an own goal? And then they show the replay, and it clearly was only off of Rui Diaz's foot. And then maybe the keeper had got a hand on it, but it bounced like up under the bar and in. It was and, was on frame. Yes. So definitely Which, a goal for Rui Diaz. Most of his shots are whether they're forty yards out or. <laughs> I mean, up to a league high fourteen goals this season for Rui Diaz. It's it's Rel Rodriguez's MVP season. Let's just call it that. Yeah, hopefully he keeps it going and he gets the uh, recognition for it. Um, while I am opposed to the MLS All Star Game, it's pretty crazy that like uh, I don't know more than half of a full Sounders team is going to be there, and we'll. I'm. Curious to see how Rui Diaz does in the skills challenge, even though that really doesn't mean anything uh, as far as like soccer goes and how the uh, season's going. But maybe he can do something in the All Star game too to get a little more recognition nationally. That gives us something in common with the NBA All Star Skills Challenge. So that win for the Sounders, along with a draw by Sporting Kansas City at home against Portland, bat- bouncing back Oof. from that huge loss. Uh, a hat tip to the Timbers for that draw. Push Seattle <laughs> Thanks, back into first place in the Western Conference. Injury on Sunday, a rematch of last year's MLS Cup Sounders heading back to Columbus, but to a new location. It's Lower.com Field, which opened in July. One of the two new stadiums coming online mid-season in MLS this season. Uh, the crew scuffling along this season just outside of the playoff picture in the Eastern Conference and uh, have really particularly been struggling of late. Uh, they, let's see, what, what, what result did they get earlier tonight as I look this up on the fly? Uh, I just want to say that uh, everything that the Columbus team has done since winning the MLS championship 
has been really stupid. <laughs> well, they tried to rebrand themselves S- or Columbus yeah. SC. They're stumbling at every point, and it's fucking amazing to see like how they go off of that high, beating one of the best teams in MLS history or organizations at least. Yeah. And destroyed the Sounders. And then now it's just like, you can't, you, you, you can barely remember it happened. It came from the Columbus crew slander. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, they, I feel bad for their fans, man. They got, they just disrespected them and now they're just shit. Well, it was better than when they tried to move the team to Austin, I guess. So they've now <laughs> lost five in a row after losing one, nothing to New York Red Bulls on Wednesday night Man. and struggling to score just four goals in 13 matches so far from Giassi Zardes, who had 14 and 25 last season has not scored since returning from playing would, for the USMNT in the gold cup. I would definitely expect, especially the lineup that Smetzer put out today and, and the people that he rested, that he's going to go like full bore on Columbus on Saturday. And, <laughs> you know, I think he probably wants a little revenge for sure. Also probably has some regrets from his tactical decisions in that one, yeah. which were second guessed to some extent, uh, but not, not that it's going to make up for the MLS cup, but would still be good to get another win on the road. Sounders have been awesome on the road this season, uh, including these last two matches. And also there's some good news coming on the injury front. It sounds like uh, Brian Schmetzer told FS1, as they mentioned on the broadcast, Stefan Fry expected to be available by the end of the month. So even though they're getting great play in goal from Stefan Cleveland and uh, wait, who had the, who had the clean sheet tonight? Richie. Right. Spencer Richie. Uh, and, yeah, we got Stephen, three goals. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, yes. Stefan. We have three Stefans, and they all each have at least two shutouts this season. And when Alex Roldan plays goal, he's also named Stefan. <laughs> yeah, he's shut out as well. So, uh, I mean, we really have four shutout keepers on this roster at any given moment. The other thing about that Portland game being on FS1. Portland native, longtime Timbers broadcaster John Strong having to call that entire six-two Sounders victory. It was was pretty great. It added a little something to it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know what what more you can add. It it was fucking amazing. <laughs> well, on that note, uh, I think it's time to wrap up this segment. And we thank you so much for helping us in our search for Seattle's best fried chicken and talk about the Sounders, Chris. Yeah, anytime you guys need. To me to eat some food, just hit me up. I, I might be. <laughs> yeah, you might be there. Exact area of where that food is. So, or I'll just find some food, you know? It is a fate, no matter what. <laughs> Thank you guys for having me. Well, there we go. Uh, let's continue talking about Seattle sports. Uh, M's hot takes. I assume no, not this I'm week. Just- they're actually on a bit of a tear lately. Took two out of three from both the Rangers and the Blue Jays on their handstand. First two games in Arlington versus the Rangers as they visit them now in Texas. Is I believe the Mariners' social media account was the first to note. Both the Mariners and Sounders winning in Dallas area suburbs on Wednesday night. I don't know if that's ever happened before. There we go. Uh, Mariners now four out of the second wild card at 65 and 56. Run differential up to minus 43. Oh, a Kevin Colton in fantasy football-like performance. Mm. Fangraphs playoff odds 3%. <sighs> I, I'll, I'll come back with some hot takes. <laughs> You're going to develop some hot takes in Baltimore? Mm-hmm. 
Are they going to be about Camden Yards? <laughs> You're going to visit where Griffey hit the hit the, the tears piano streaming down my face. Oh wow, that would be pretty. Amazing. I'll remember youth. I'm actually staying very close to Camden Yards. You gotta go, or you'll park at Camden Yards. You gotta go to that site. I like. It, I think I'm probably close enough that, like, I'll, I'll ha- I will go buy it at some point. Nice. Pick up some Boog's barbecue. <laughs> Do they still have that Boog pal? That was a thing. That was definitely a thing. Yeah, I'll see. I think that was outside, right? It was. Maybe out- they have the pit beef. <laughs> That's right. I'm gonna get the pit beef. The Boog's. Wow. I, I have not looked at any food. I have not prepared for a trip to Baltimore at all. Like, it, it's very different than trips that I've taken other places. Like, it's going to be totally on the fly. But I think there's a good chance that I eat even better than a place like L.A. Because L.A. is so sprawling. Everywhere is good in L.A. It's I, I very easy to find yes. a good restaurant in L.A. But, like... Geography determines where you go more than a specific location. And I think there's a good chance that I'm eating at, like some of the best restaurants in all of Baltimore, if that makes sense. Or I can I can orchestrate that a little bit easier than I can in LA. And it's also so like like there's no objective like this is the best whatever in LA. And I think Baltimore being a you know a smaller town might make that a little bit easier. Can I give you two last Vegas food nuts? Wow. Cuz I was my trip was not over when we recorded last Wednesday. I still had two more days in Vegas. So on Thursday, two places I went. For lunch, I went to Tacos El Gordo, okay. which they've moved to their new location. It is much larger now. Oh, really? I went at like 11 a.m. and there was basically no line whatsoever. So that was great. That's what I recommend is get there early, avoid the line. I will say was not quite as good as I remembered Tacos huh. El Gordo. Okay. And this is the one where they have different lines for what you order. Correct. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And the Tijuana style tacos, the Al Pastor being there, their standout. Which I just went with five El Pastor tacos. I wasn't waiting in multiple wow, lines. I knew what I wanted. Anything else? I was I good. Like it. Uh, number two that evening, I went to Majordomo Meat and Fish in the Palazzo, the uh, the new version of the the David Chang restaurant that was previously it continues to be uh, originated in L.A. I guess is what I'm trying to say here, and had a very good meal there. Surprisingly, the mac and cheese, which I thought was consistently a standout at in the L.A. location, which isn't technically cheese. Uh, it's like chickpea, I think, is what oh, they used to make it. Okay, and that was, but that was not as strong, I thought, in Las Vegas. But I made sure to order the BS fries, which are like not like technically listed as a side. Uh huh. You gotta you gotta order them separately, and uh, you know you gotta know to ask for them. Aren't they off menu in LA as well? I believe so. So they're like they they are part of one of the large format meals. But if you want to get them as a side, you have to specifically ask. And let me tell you. I mean, number one, I haven't eaten a lot of fresh fries since this pandemic started, and they're the number one thing in my mind that does not work in takeout, That I, at least that I've had, because there's other stuff like ramen isn't great for takeout, but I just yeah. haven't had it since then. Uh, those fries were so fucking good. Wow. They were like the best fries I have ever had in my Damn, life. I, number one fries. I remember them being pretty good. It was, it, was a, it was a pricey meal, but it was a very satisfying final dinner in Las Vegas. Okay. All right, let's get back to Seattle sports, starting with O.L. Rain, who suffered a one nothing loss Saturday. I'm just looking up the best restaurants in all of Baltimore. Uh, okay, let me know what you find out. Saturday <laughs> at Kansas City, a disappointing performance as Kansas City got their first win of 2021 in Laura Harvey's first match back as O.L. Rain head coach. Rain put just one shot on goal. One reason the attack was less potent, Eugenie Lesomere left in the 35th minute with a head injury. 
They also Rain also played without their Olympians, who should be back next weekend against Gotham FC, which comes to Seattle or to Tacoma, I should say, tied for third in the NWSL. Entering that match, Rain down to seventh in the NWSL standings. We mentioned at the top the Storm coming back from the Olympic break, beating the Connecticut Sun, dominating the Connecticut Sun in the Commissioner's Cup to win that inaugural uh, championship. Uh, with limited practice for those five returning Olympians, none at all for Stewie, who flew, I think, directly from Boise to Phoenix by herself, held Connecticut to 33% shooting and just eight free throw attempts. Storm led by 11 at halftime and then dominated the third quarter, outscoring the Sun 22-5 to to turn the game into a route and get the starters some rest in the fourth quarter. There we go. Is the winning team. Each player received approximately 30000 and Brianna Stewart added 75000 as the MVP after scoring 17 points on 6 of 8 shooting and adding 4 steals, 3 assists, and 3 blocks. The Storm were plus 27 in her 27 minutes of action. So we're we talking crab type stuff. That's what that's I what mean, that's yes, crab cakes are the specialty of Baltimore. Okay, I gotta get some crab cakes, right? Yeah, yeah for sure. Okay. Joe Benny's perfect five stars, Italian food. How do we feel about that? You're in the East Coast. I, I mean I'm pretty confident there's some Italians in, in Baltimore. <laughs> okay. That's my that's I'm very confident of that. Parchetti. Yes. <laughs> it's literally everything we know about yeah, Baltimore is the MLB All Star game in nineteen ninety it was ninety three. Nineteen ninety three MLB All Star game. It was a formative All Star game for us because we'd never watched a baseball All Star game before. It was, we'd never seen a home run derby. And then there's Ken Griffin there's, Jr. hitting the ball off the warehouse. There's that like, that's we've the got home run derby for watching us. the one game where Cal Ripken broke the streak and then the wire. <laughs> that's it. I mean, there was a lot of other Mariners games there too. There's a there's a free show competing with the show that I'm going to by this band Turnstile. So we'll see. Maybe I'll get to both. Okay. Maybe I'll get to both. Maybe I'll have Crag Cakes and Joe Benny's and see Turnstile. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Uh, after that win in the Commissioner's Cup, the Storm gave Brianna Stewart and Suber the next two games off for rest. Without them, the team, and, and for in Stewart's case, to, to be with her new child, uh, without them, the Storm nearly stole a win at Chicago before Jewel Lloyd missed a tying attempt late in overtime. Lloyd scored a team-high 26 points but shot 7-30 from the field, while Izzy Megbegore came off the bench for a career-high 21 points in nine boards in that one. On Wednesday, the Storm got a career-high tying 35 points from Lloyd on 13 of 26 shooting this time. She had 22 in the third quarter, but... Uh, Cooled down in the fourth quarter, Mr. Final Seven shots. The Storm took a 10-point lead into the final period, but were outscored 21-7 there as they fell 83-79 to the New York Liberty, getting just 12 combined points from the bench. The loss to drop the Storm to third in the WNBA standings, putting them outside the top two to get double buys to automatically advance to the semifinals in the playoffs. Still a good chance of finishing in those spots thanks to their tiebreaker with the Connecticut Sun. Uh, they will face Liberty in New York again on Friday with Burden Stewart expected to return to the lineup. Then back to back national TV games as they close out a five game road trip, six games including the Commissioner's Cup. On Sunday, they'll be taking on the Washington Mystics at 12 noon on ESPN. Uh, Mystics hoping to get MVP Elena Deladon back for that game. She has not played since helping Washington win the 2019 WNBA Finals, opting out of the bubble for medical reasons, and then undergoing back surgery last December that assigned lined her so far this season. Then Tuesday, Storm in Minnesota on ESPN2 at 4 p.m. Uh, after they complete this road trip, we'll have only one road game remaining out of their final six and will not leave the West Coast in the regular season. Wow. I was going to say, the season has to be winding down. I guess maybe not as much because they took the little break for 
for the Olympics, right? Yes. So the season's going a little bit longer than normal. This it year. is longer than normal. Yes. Okay. All right. You know, football, not a lot of, you know, big news out of training camp thus far, but uh, Huskies ranked number 20 in the opening AP poll, one of five Pac-12 teams in the top 25. Oregon checks in at number 11, USC at number 15, Utah at number 24, and Arizona State number 25. So four of those five, or three of those five in the uh, the South Division, Oregon and UW, the two teams from the North. Uh, kind of, I feel like some of these teams got in here almost like, by default, where they were like, you I mean, have to rank some teams from the West Coast. Yeah. We'll just slot them down there at the end. You can tell that by like week four, there's going to be two, maybe three Pac-12 teams in the top 25. That's just how it goes. We'll hope the Huskies could be one of them. I mean, there's probably people who've looked at this scientifically who the initial rankings influence where you're going to end up, right? Yes. Oh, well, they also they have predictive power. Maybe. No, they do. The like, initial rankings do have predictive power. Yeah. Yeah, like they're objectively meaningful information. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. I mean, I know about this probably. I've seen this studied more in basketball than football specifically, but I don't know that I see. I mean, football, they play even fewer games, so I think the preseason ranking is probably even more meaningful there. But do you think that's a self-fulfilling meaningful thing? But is I'm it, saying, like, even if you look at team objective team success, like if you... Not just rankings in the end. Like if you're trying to predict the NCAA tournament, where teams are ranked in the preseason pool actually matters. Okay. So we're not going to talk about Nick Rolovich at all. I mean, (laughs) we're just we're moving right past that. We'll see if he uh, is able to uh, secure a religious or medical uh, exemption after Jay Inslee announced that that uh, the vaccine mandate for state employees will imply to coaches. Uh, He went out of his way to say that it applied to coaches, right? I don't know if he. I, I mean, I've only read the news story. I didn't see his press conference. I don't, I don't know if he went out of his way to mention that or if that was just a question that was asked. I mean, it's pretty obvious. <laughs> Who we're talking about here? <laughs> well, it's like he's the most prominent example of a state of Washington employee who, is not, who has said that they are not vaccinated. He's the second highest paid employee in the state of Washington. I believe so, yes. After Jimmy Lake. Yes. Who's the highest paid employee in the state of Washington. Of course. So... Because that's how our society works, that the highest paid <laughs> state employees good are exclusively football basketball coaches. Love it. Uh, We're definitely not contributing to that at all by doing a podcast about sports. We barely talk about Husky football anymore, I feel like. Well, because there's nothing to talk about in the offseason, which is why this is my theory. Is like, what's I'm so the, ready for a theory. What's the name for like the law where the amount of stuff you have to do expands or contracts to the amount of time you have? I don't know. That's a that's a thing. It's like a Mur- <laughs> is it Murphy's law? But Murphy's law is like something will always go wrong, right? I don't, I don't know. Someone, the listener will know this. You're the t- asking me about this. a law. It's not an actual law. It's like an expression. I know, they call but a law. So my theory is that in sports, we always are going to talk a certain amount about everything, whether there's anything to talk about or not. And that means that meaningless shit gets talked about way too much. And so the ultimate example of this is NFL cutdown day. Uh-huh. Because who's number 53? And now now it's larger than that. What is it? 56 maybe that they can keep? Before it was who's 53 or 54 on the roster? Like That doesn't fucking matter. The difference between these players is infinitesimal. It, but that's, is that going to stop us from getting upset when Casey Williams gets cut? No, oh. absolutely not. Of well, course not. That's different. <laughs> Uh, or when Troy Main Pope gets cut, there's there's certain, look Troy Main Pope has gone on to be a very successful NFL he player. He's had a long NFL career for certain. <sighs> but 
these things seem so important when they happen. And then two months later, no one cares about them whatsoever because there's actual important shit to talk about because there's games that count. So that's how I feel about the entire college offseason. Recruiting, spring practice, even training camp. Until they play a game, it's all pretty meaningless to me. I think I that's fair. The fact that Dylan Morris got named the starter, that's, that's a meaningful thing. But other than that, like, call me when they play on September 4th. I'll be there. I assume. Fair enough. There are people who are freaking out about recruiting right now for Husky football. Is there ever been a time where people have not been freaking about, about Husky football recruiting? Probably when the team was worse, honestly. The, the amount that people were freaking They were actually out. very good at recruiting a lot of that period, where they weren't that good at winning games, which is one indication that recruiting might not be as important as it's made out to be. Yes. But again, we're not going to talk about Nick Rolovich. So th- this, I mean, this what, is else, what more is there to say here? My question for you is, what is a religious exemption to a vaccine? Have you seen one? Is, are there credible religious exemptions to vaccines? I, I don't know what the criteria are there now. Are there religions that would be specifically opposed to vaccines? Well, one could imagine that Christian science would be a situation where that, you know, they, it's generally not a belief in medical intervention. So vaccines could certainly reasonably fall into I, I have no specific knowledge okay. of Christian science's position on vaccination. Fair. So... But this is this is one of those moments where I feel like we're starting to get in society to a point of whatever batshit crazy idea you have that's anti-vaccine. You're really going to have to be at the point where do you hold this belief enough that you're willing to give up how, being the second highest paid employee of Washington State? I mean, look, there are NFL coaches who are not coaching this season because they were unwilling to get vaccinated. So I think there's some, one. There were at least two. At least two? Yeah. So there are some people who feel strong enough about this that they're willing to get, give it up. Clearly so. And Nick Rolovich could possibly not be the head coach of Washington State University. I, I guess we'll see. Because this, he's going to get it. I would assume so, but... I, this is this is what you deem consequences, right? Yes. Yeah. I deemed bullying. <laughs> I'm still not a fan of that term. Governor governor level bullying. I mean the the whole press conference was like, look, we thought you motherfuckers would go out and do this on your on your own, and you didn't. So now we have to force you to. Yeah. I mean that's that's pretty much been the entire last eighteen months. That's actually up to what I don't know, I, I guess it's only seventeen months. If that's not governor-level bullying, in a positive way, I don't know what is. I guess I don't know what is either. <laughs> well, actually, I know I do. I have some pretty good ideas. I think some bullying happened in New York, as it turned out. <laughs> a lot of, lot, of, lot of terrible bullying. <sighs> uh, should we talk about the Seahawks? Who opened their preseason Saturday with a 22-7 loss, I should say, at the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, but the big story of the past week is that after it seemed touch and go for a bit there. I'm so mad about this. Are you? Just wait for it. Jamal Adams and the Seahawks agreed Tuesday to a four-year extension as first reported by Ian Rappaport of NFL Network. The Seahawks held the line on guaranteed money, guaranteeing him $38 million, but apparently increased the max value with incentives from $70 million to $72 million, as first reported by Mike Garofalo of NFL Network. Gar- Garofalo? 
Like you're a fool. Let's go with that one. Really? I don't know. That heard sounds like you're like hilariously trying to mispronounce his name. I've heard of, heard of both ways. I'm pretty sure it's Garofalo. Okay. I'm just going to cover. Just say it both ways to cover my bases. Okay, let me tell you why I'm pissed about this. Why are you pissed about Not this? Not because of the extension. I think the extension's great or whatever. It's fine. It's, it's fine. That's what but it should be. I, I'm not that concerned with the allocation of resources by the Seahawks as they relate to safeties, if that makes sense. Well, let's see how much they allocate to Quandre Diggs. We'll see. Who's also in need of a new contract. But there was a report the previous day about, it was just like, so clearly horseshit. Whereas, like, the Seahawks are willing to let Jamal Adams ride it out and and franchise tag him two years in a row. He's going to claim he's a linebacker. And I was so ready to come on this podcast and be like, Jamal Adams is going to sign in one week. All of this is fucking (laughs) bullshit. And then he signs the next day. The Seahawks beat me to the take. And that's why I'm mad. It's very fair. I hate getting beat to the take myself. I mean... The fact that there was a report in Pro Football Talk about that willingness to let him play on the pro, the franchise tag and the strength of the argument used against Adams, who was, quote, stubborn. It's unclear why the Seahawks weren't equally stubborn for unwilling to move their offer, which they did. And he moved off his demand and they made a compromise and that's made a deal. Literally called negotiation. But yeah, yeah. That's, that's kind of how it works. But the, I, I don't even feel like this report was like helpful to either side's negotiation. This is why I tell you, okay, finish your point. I'm going to complain more. It, I mean, it seemed troubling that it was being described in those terms and that that's probably not, that's definitely not something that's coming from Jamal Adams' agent, that they're unwilling to, you know, go any further and that they think that they pay their fares, players a fair and reasonable amount, which, like, first off, everyone fucking thinks they pay their players. No one's like, hey, you know what? <laughs> We're not playing our, paying our players sufficiently. No one says that. They all think they're fair. Everyone's right in their own mind. Uh, it was also like, you know, just it, it was a troubling anti-player perspective that is common in the this media. Is, this is a story that only you saw. Nobody else saw this report. <laughs> I think a lot of other people saw this report. But also the reality just, is... You mean in our DM? This is, I saw it nowhere else on Twitter. There was nobody else responding to it. This is why I told you last week I do not care about off-season player contract negotiations because you, it's you got all it. a fucking drama. It is Super Mario 3 over here. Like, it is, it is not... It's a thing that you do, and it plays out publicly, and in the end, everybody gets what they want. That's the way that these things work. It is the most boring story talking about Jamal Adams. You have this report. So you're throwing it in my category from just the last segment. Of what? Of things that we only talk about because it's the offseason. Yes, it is. And because Jamal Adams isn't practicing when Jamal Adams shouldn't have been practicing, it was wise for Jamal Adams not to practice. Then they get the deal done. I've not not heard a lot of vocal support for your nobody practice theory. Have you heard any any anti-support for it? I've heard someone say, I can't quite, I'm not there with you. Who, Ben? Yeah. He was, he was close. <laughs> he was, he was okay with starters not playing in the preseason, which we'll talk about in a second. I, I, see, you read that, everybody's right in their own mind. I read that as Ben supporting me, and you read that as Ben supporting you. So, I mean, he was hedging, for sure. But the most important thing is Jamal Adams started practicing the second that he should be practicing. 
And the deal got done the second that Jamal Adams should be practicing. No. When is the second where Dwayne Brown should start practicing? It is the moment right before week one. Okay. It is right when the preseason over. How old is Dwayne Brown? He's, How many fucking reps does Dwayne Brown have? He's very experienced. Again, as I said last week, chemistry on the offensive line is known to be a valuable commodity. They still have chemistry. You think chemistry in these meaningless preseason games? I mean, I don't want Dwayne Brown to play in the preseason. I'm, but I think that, I mean, the, the other thing about the preseason is like they play these games and everybody has these takes about who played well and who didn't. And that's one sixth of what a team does in a given week. The other five six happens in practice, and you and I don't see it unless uh-huh. we happen to go to. You a also only see game. it if it's extremely good or extremely bad or extremely biased. Right. I. You just can't. You literally cannot trust anything, any report that comes out of training camp or performance in the preseason. So the coaches. There's some situations where, like, you know, the teams don't actually have that much more information than people on the outside. The performance of players during training camp is not one of those situations. They have way more information. And I'm sure... Especially because fans are limited to they went to practice one day and a player had made a big play. It's a sample size issue. It's a what you see is all there is issue. So I do think the games probably count a little more than that one-sixth or whatever it is because there is something about performing under the bright lights and against another team. But it's not as important as we make it out to be. And also, like... It's pr- oh, I think- this podcast is just us telling you why everything else. Don't don't talk about sports. There's nothing interesting <laughs> to talk about right now. Great sports podcast. Anyway, so <clears throat> looks like the best crab cakes in Baltimore. <laughs> on this sports podcast. <sighs> this hypothetically sports podcast. The. The most... I totally lost my train of thought. Wait, I was making such a good point. Oh, well, just assume you made a good point. Uh, yeah, so chalk that up to a good point. <laughs> no. Everyone's right it in just, their own it, mind. The whole, the whole thing with the following contract talk is just... It's so absurd, and we follow it so closely. And none of it is interesting. I, I legitimately was worried I was wrong on this one. We're, you were no, legitimately we're, worried about this? I was. God, every year I tell you. I mean, like the Russell Wilson contract extensions, I have never once worried about. Never but once. I, I just, anybody who has a take on this, oh, that was the thing that I was going to say is all of a sudden, you're, you, the report that you were concerned with, this pro football talk report, right? Yes. All of a sudden, Pete Carroll and John Schneider and Jamal Adams, they're all happy with each other. Yeah, that's how negotiations work. The second that the deal is done, Jamal Adams is at camp and he's practicing. Well, he practicing, yeah. He was always at camp. And everybody's happy. So this report literally did not matter. Did it get the deal over the edge? Possibly. Like, there's, I'm sure. No, apparently Jamal Adams' mom calling him was what got it over the over the finish line. Jamal Adams' mom called Jamal Adams. Yeah. And was just like, you're making $70 million. Why the fuck are you arguing over an extra $2 million? I don't know if you used that particular argument, but something along those lines. I mean, it's it's not the worst argument I've heard. And that that's the same thing. I heard Big Waz talking about NBA players this offseason when uh, people who have fries named after them were arguing that 
that Zion or whatever, Luka Doncic, would pass up like whatever millions of dollars for their second extension to go play for the team that they want to play for. And Big Waz was like, we're talking about tens of millions of dollars here. Like these players are not going to do that in the same way that Jamal Adams for this $2 million is not going to give up the other $70 million. I don't know if I agree with Waz on that one because you just make so much more money off the court relative to what you when make When has the it court. happened? Give me a scenario. I mean, no one has taken the qualifying offer. That doesn't mean players haven't forced their way out. Have they forced their way out and gotten paid significantly less money, though? No. Because usually you find a way to force yourself out. You use leverage the threat of forcing your way out this, to force your way out. This was without an argument about they're going to get paid no matter what. Jamal Adams was going to get paid no matter what because his mom is there telling him to do that in the same way that Zion's mom was telling him to do it, that Zion's agent was telling him to do it, that Jamal Adams' agent was telling him to do it. All of these players are going to play and get paid the maximum amount of money and use the media and use reports like this to push one direction, push that direction, and then eventually we settle it and then we can start playing football. But in this, but that's because in this case, Jamal Adams' goal was to play football for the Seattle Seahawks. I don't know that Zion Williamson's goal is to play basketball for the New Orleans Pelicans. We'll Zion Williams's goal, Williamson's goal, Zion Williamson's goal is going to be to make as much money as possible and possibly play for a different I mean, team. we have seen veteran players sacrifice money to go play for a team they wanted to. It's a totally different scenario, though. I don't know that I agree that it is. It is not. We're not. And also because those guys, when they were rookies and signing rookie extensions, I don't know how we got into NBA contracts. <laughs> when those guys were rookies and signing rookie extensions, the rookie scale was like two million. Now Zion's making like you know what's the last year of his contract? Twelve million, probably. Like it's a different scale. Like if you lose a little bit on the second contract, you're gonna be straight. Zion's making in the last year of his rookie contract makes thirteen point five million, assuming the Pelicans pick up that team option. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Yeah, it's a little bit of leverage. <laughs> Maybe they don't pick it up. Uh, anyway, I'm just, I'm so fucking sick of, I'm sick of talking about this. I'm sick of talking about not talking about it. Let's move on. <laughs> All right, let's talk about preseason. Instead, oh, God, we've I'm already sick, of, sick of talking about that, too. So the Seahawks had 31 players held out from playing this weekend, according to the calculations of Greg Alman of the Athletic NFL, their Bucks beat writer, which was the third most among NFL teams that had played. And I don't know if this is quite finalized. I think it is. Uh, the Rams, naturally, Sean McVay, a pioneer in not playing the preseason. I I will tell you, I've been critical of Sean McVay in other scenarios. This notion that Sean McVay is an offensive genius. And I will tell you, there is one place that Sean McVay has it right. And that is not playing your starters in the preseason. Sean McVay has revolutionized the NFL. Because if one team is doing it and a person is successful not doing it, every other team is going to look at that and be like, well, I'm not fucking playing my starters if he's not playing his starters. It is kind of interesting that now three of the four teams in the NFC West were among the top eight teams in not playing their starters. Because San Francisco didn't play 25. Uh, Cardinals were the exception in this group. They were at 14. I'm impressed by Pete Carroll, that Pete Carroll has learned from this. It's, the, the it one... is like people talk about Pete Carroll's age and adaptability. I don't know about the run-pass ratio, but this is one place where Pete Carroll, has his position has evolved. Everybody in the everybody in the NFC West has to keep up with each other, and Cliff Kingsbury is playing a different game. 
<clears throat> He's playing that game very attractively. They uh, got they got JJ Watt. They're they're still competing. Look, the Cardinals are still trying to keep up with everybody, but I th- I think mentally the Kyle Shanahan, Sean McVay, they're kind of like the bros. Pete Carroll's the old guy, but he's he's shifty. Huh. <laughs> Is Zach Wilman pointed out on Twitter, we just don't talk in opposite society about how good-looking Pete Carroll is at age 69. <laughs> that's uh, absolutely true. I remember listening, to, I was listening to the Flying Coach podcast, and they were talking about Sean McVay's hair and how perfectly like sculpted it is quaffed and i'm like dog his hair looks like the hair that people had in the year 2000 and it hasn't changed this man has backstreet boys hair in the year 2021 like i'm sorry i know that you work in the nfl and culture has not changed that quickly for you you're you're decades ago right i've heard i have heard the music at sporting events i get it but like (laughs) Let's not go out of our way to talk about how phenomenal phenomenal Sean McVay's hair is because this man is two decades behind in hair technology. He's got the fucking Pete Carroll philosophy of hair. <laughs> I really didn't expect we were going to get here. I, I meant to complain about that to you actually a few weeks ago. So Geno Smith started at quarterback for the Seahawks but left the game due to a concussion apparently suffered on an early sack by a nickel blitz where there's some miscommunication. Stone Forsyth got a lot of blame. I thought there was a, a good discussion of this on the Seahawks man-to-man podcast. Uh, like, the the communication issue probably wasn't Stone Forsyth. Maybe he misunderstood something. But there were two blockers on the left side. And there were... I, I know what Sean McVay's hair looks like. You don't need to show me a photo of Sean McVay. You need to... If you know, if you do a side-by-side with him in one of the 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 members of Together, that, <laughs> that then you'll be doing something. Together, wow. There were three blo- three blitzers coming on the left side and two blockers there. So if Stone Forsyth kicks out to take the nickel blitz, someone else is coming free. I mean, maybe you've got a better chance of figuring something out, but there was there were bigger problems than just the rookie on that play. Okay. Uh, Alex Magoo played the bulk of the game at quarterback with Sean Mannion coming in for the fourth quarter. <clears throat> on the injury front, tight end Colby Parkinson re-injured the foot that sidelined the entire <laughs> Young Sean McVay. Look at this young Sean McVay. It is pretty hilarious without the the facial hair. Just like a little bit of grizzle. Okay. Uh, Colby Parkinson re-injured the foot that sidelined him the entire 2020 season with his first campaign in the NFL. Good news is it won't require surgery, and Pete Carroll said he's optimistic that Parkinson could be back in a few weeks. Uh, several players did return to practice Tuesday, including second-round pick Dwayne Eskridge and running back Rashad Penny. So hope to see them in the second preseason coming, game coming up this Saturday as the Denver Broncos come to town to face the Seahawks. Uh, I... I think that's I think it's a pretty big deal having this team be mostly healthy. You know, getting Eskridge back at practice I think is a big deal. You know, the Seahawks were definitely counting on him to be participating uh, and to be a factor at wide receiver and you know, wide receiving core that's maybe the least amount of depth of almost anywhere on the roster. And I would say that not really <clears throat> didn't really see a lot from the wide receivers on Saturday for anyone to step forward from that group that's battling behind, you know, the for us obviously to get really excited about and then have them be cut. Yes, exactly. That's what you're looking for. Behind Lockett and Metcalf <clears throat> is the obvious starters and Eskridge is presumably the number three receiver. Freddie Swain in the mix there. Freddie Swain didn't play, I don't think, on Saturday either. Pete Carroll's serious about this shit. <laughs> I, 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 he, may have, <laughs> he may have been injured. I don't think he was out. <laughs> Uh, it was a it was a tough play, by the way, for Trey Flowers. My my take is 
I would not be surprised if Trey Flowers ends up getting cut. Really? That's my tech. Wow. So, so who who are the corners going into the season? Well, so DJ Reed did not play. He's still not back. Hope is, I think, that he'll be back next week. Uh, Akella Witherspoon. Akella Witherspoon. Opposite him. I feel like, based on, again, I don't want to read too much into one game, but feels like Akella Witherspoon is a much better shot of starting opposite DJ Reed than than uh, Trey Flowers does. And then you've got Trey Brown potentially as, a, uh, as depth there. Ugo Amani? He's playing nickel. Yeah, as, as nickel. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just talking about the outside corners. And then I'm just kind of thinking about the roster in general because people seem pretty excited about Ryan Neal again. Uh, yeah, he played a lot with Jamal Adams out. And is Ryan Neal, you know, obviously Diggs and Adams are the starting safeties, but like... Is Were you Ryan, asking whether there could be some big nickel? I mean, I feel like... People love a big nickel. Couldn't you get them all in the field? The way that Jamal Adams plays... I think you definitely could, yeah. Are Ryan Neal and Quandre Diggs actually the safeties and Jamal Adams is... Everything else without KJ Wright is Jamal Adams. Is he making a credible argument that he is a linebacker that Jamal Adams can kind of do it all can be a position that we haven't necessarily seen in the NFL where he can play coverage. He can play in the middle of the field. I mean, the Cardinals have used a lot of players of that ilk. Pass rush in the same way that oh, Jamal no, Adams not does? With Jamal. Yes. That's yeah, what I'm that's saying fair. is Jamal Adams. We're talking about somebody who could play literally all three levels of the defense. Yeah. And if it's, you know, again, with K.J. Wright not coming back, if it's Ryan Neal and Quandary Diggs are the safeties and Jamal Adams is a third safety, if he's a dime cornerback, if he's a pass rusher, if he's a linebacker, it'd be a pretty unique defense. It's not something we've seen from them yet, but obviously Jamal Adams just started practicing within the last couple of days. So there's not been a lot of opportunity. If you would have signed that deal earlier. <laughs> ah! <laughs> Uh, if he wasn't so stubborn. Uh, <laughs> the NFL 100 list is out this week, and uh, through the first 40 players, for 60 players, they've got 40 left. Uh, we've seen three Seahawks thus far, two Seahawks and one say, former Seahawk thus far. This is wild to me. Quandra Diggs at number 77, Tyler Lockett at number 76, which I, I think is, I mean, he's still underrated, but he's not as underrated as he often is. He's still pretty underrated. And number 67, I mean, I also don't know how many wide receivers are above him. Uh, that's not determined yet. 67, unsigned free agent, K.J. Wright. I'm, I, who apparently had never made the NFL 100 previously. I mean, K.J. Wright had one of his best seasons last year. <laughs> he really did, yeah, it's true. The it's, whole situation it's is shocking. very strange to me. Do you buy this idea that with the Jamal Adams extension... There's more money available for the Seahawks to go out and try to sign KJ Wright. So they did dramatically decrease Jamal Adams' 2021 cap number. I do not think that they plan to sign KJ Wright. It seems so. One of the things we saw on Saturday is, and I guess they had started this last year. Mina Kimes mentioned this on the NFC West preview that she did on her pod. Uh, that the Seahawks are actually playing more of like a three-four type of front, really. So you know, with two stand-up outside linebackers, essentially. And then, you know, Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks is the two traditional linebackers. So if you're playing that style, like, K.J. Wright doesn't fit in that unless you're going to play him ahead of Jordan Brooks. And they've they've pretty clearly signaled that they see Brooks as the guy there. Yeah, I mean, they have invested a lot. Who are going to be those, those stand-up outside linebackers at this point? Alden Smith is no longer on the team. Is it Kerry Heider? Is it... 
Yeah, I think Hyder would be in the mix, certainly there. I mean, the guy that we were excited to see last weekend in making finally his long-anticipated NFL debut after missing his entire rookie season was... Daryl Taylor. Daryl Taylor, who played quite well and was the one who was standing up in a lot of those situations. Interesting. So that's kind of how you think that they're going to view Daryl Taylor. That seems to be how they're thinking right now. And then who's playing? So you got Benson Mayoa also in the mix for that. Rasheen Green, Carlos Dunlap. Uh, that's just how they want their basically their defensive ends to be. And then Collier may be playing more like a 3-4 defensive end than a 4-3 defensive end, which is probably the appropriate use of his skill set. But the appropriate you're saying use there are three linemen inside of there. Three linemen with the two pass rushers who are basically defensive ends. Yes. And then Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner. Yes. Who or are those? oftentimes you'd go two, you'd go two, four, five if you're in a nickel. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense to me. Rather than having, I I think a three four is probably a, a the terminology is a byproduct of us understanding that a little bit more. But like having two down linemen, four linebackers, if you're considering those pass rushers to be linebackers in this scenario, and then five in the secondary makes a lot of sense to me. That that feels like modern football to me. Yeah, I think that's the direction the college game in particular is kind of heading. So, I suppose it makes sense with KJ Wright if if that's the plan. But I mean, obviously they invested a lot in Jordan Brooks, and they just they're they're going to play him. It doesn't make sense to have invested that much and not play him. Right. I don't know if it also doesn't make sense to bring back the sixty seventh best player in the NFL. <laughs> I mean, I, like, KJ deserves the respect. I don't know that I think as an off-ball linebacker at his age, he's actually the 67th best player in the league. But you don't have to be the 67th best player in the league to be better than, you know, Jordan Brooks. Or the, or the predictive power necessarily of this. That's talking about where Jordan or where KJ Wright was last season. Exactly. And he is a season older. But wherever KJ Wright ends up, he's going to have, he has more good years left than him. For sure. And we'll continue cheering for KJ Wright. Absolutely. All right. Well, on that note. I'm not done yet. Oh, no. what? I mean, uh, I feel like, are we not going to talk about not having any sort of safety precautions? I mean, there's a there's a preseason game happening at Lumen, Lumen Field this, I want to say Saturday. It is Saturday. Yes. I just, I'm just going to be t- fucking knee deep in crab cakes. But <laughs> <laughs> That's quite a visual. But... There is supposedly a preseason game happening this Saturday at Lewin Field. I mean, I don't know if it's supposedly. We can confirm that the game is scheduled for this Saturday. I can't con- confirm anything. But not having any sort of COVID safety precautions, seeing a team like... So the two teams, as far as I understand, that have policies so far for fans entering the building are the New Orleans Saints and the Las Vegas Raiders. So notably two teams that play indoors, and I think that's probably a factor in it. Although we did see L.A. County direct outdoor events. Fans will be required to be masked. This is, you think that is that big of a difference? We're talking the indoors versus outdoors in a stadium with that much. Yeah, there's more airflow. There's a good deal of airflow even in an indoor stadium. But I do think that is a pretty substantial difference. And you think that's why there's a policy? Just at being outside. Because to me, I look at this... Well, those uh, are also places that are dependent on tourism, and I think want to 
keep keep <clears throat> the things keep things going and obviously have greater covid outbreaks than we've seen in Seattle this far. I mean, obviously, I'm all for vaccination, you know, requirements. I think that those and masking, I, I, I think, yes, I, these are low cost interventions that allow us to keep doing the things we want to do as safely as possible. So I'm in favor of all of them. I mean, I is someone who just wore a mask at four hours, six hours of NBA summer league games every day last week. It's not that big of a deal. I assure you, you can do it. Seeing this policy that the Raiders had at Allegiant Stadium of saying you're coming in with proof of vaccination or you can be vaccinated on site and wear a mask at the game. The I just I really appreciated the aggressive nature of it for a football game in particular and for Nevada in particular. I was surprised, but I really appreciated that. And when I think about going to these large sporting events that we have coming up, when I think about going to Husky games and the Seahawks games, I'm just like, I don't want to go. I mean, especially not for a preseason game. I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? I'm not going to go to a preseason game for this and be around 67,000 people, right? Packed in yelling like this is not, it still doesn't feel safe to me at this point. Outdoors or not. If all of a sudden you flip that switch and you tell me that there is a requirement to be for proof of vaccination for every single person there or it's proof of vaccination i would accept under circumstances negative test within whatever 48 hours or something like that it makes me going to these games so much more comfortable with the idea when i think about going to whatever week one right like thinking about that as an idea because i've been around people indoors i have not been around seventy thousand people Right. It's been a long time since I've been there. And for the Seahawks not to have a policy on this, it is an absolute failure as an organization for them not to say it. It is total fear. But I don't think it should be on the Seahawks. This I mean, this is my perspective on most things in the pandemic. It shouldn't be on individual businesses. It should be on the state to impose that or the county. I agree. Both. And I, I let's get fucking Jay back up there to bully people more. I mean, the Seattle Times had a piece today indicating that there is consideration of either vaccination or limits on attendance at indoor events. It did not indicate necessarily anything about outdoor events. That was in regards to the Kraken considering whether they're going to adopt a vaccination oh, policy better. for their games. I mean, they, so they have some time to figure that out. Yeah. I would assume that they're going to. I mean, I, I suppose I agree that it should be on. But the this Raiders policy, I don't think is coming from the state of Nevada. It, it certainly is more severe than the state of Nevada's policy for, you know, indoor games at, at UNLV. But I th- that to me is, I, I just, I really feel like these organizations are saying, we understand something about our fans and we're scared to do it. We're scared of the backlash and that cannot be how we approach it. Just Which because is odd it's, because like by definition, we know what the numbers are in Seattle. Now, you know, the numbers may not be the same among Seahawks fans as they are among all residents. It's probably likely that... Uh, you know, the vaccination numbers? Yeah, newcomers they to have, the area. They have not a Seahawks window fans. of opportunity to do public good here. They have a window of opportunity to do good for all of the state of Washington and are choosing not to do it. Again, because of, I mean, we can't say exactly why. Maybe they'll make a policy. I wouldn't, I would hope that there's going to be one. I don't think this idea that just because it's outdoors is a magic bullet, though, because you still spend time indoors. Like the, 
the actual game itself is outdoors. The corridors are maybe partially outdoors. There are elevators. There's the fucking the club level. The club level, but there's that also is, the, the club level is fully indoors. That's the biggest concern. But there's the the place where you go. It's not fully indoors when you walk out. There's club, it's club open level. if you're in the seats or whatever. But the actual like concessions area, the club level is indoors. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, they cram a lot about. of people in there. But also the event center is what I'm trying to say yeah. next door, which is packed full of people every single week. So just saying, just because the game itself is outdoors, doesn't mean that there's no other scenario where you're indoors. And to have no policy at all, literally nothing, when King County is experiencing maybe the worst outbreak that we've experienced in the entire pandemic or close to it, right? And to just be like, sorry, that is not okay right now. Well, yeah. I mean, I would be in favor of, of a mandate for sure. I mean, I, I'm expecting it to happen. And the same, in the same way that if the University of Washington is requiring, they're requiring students to be vaccinated to be in person. I believe so, yeah. I haven't even heard about it for UW because I think the uproar is happening maybe east of the mountains a little bit more from the coaching staff on down, from the highest paid person of the, the, the entire university on down. The uproar is happening more there. But I would assume that UW to be in person at classes, you have to provide proof of vaccination. Why is this not a policy for football games as well? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, Husky Stadium is much more outdoors yes. than Lumen Field is. But, like, again, are we going to feel, are you going to be there sitting? Our seats are probably the safest seats in the entire <laughs> fucking building, right? We are as removed from people as you could possibly There's get. nobody behind us to yell forward. No, we, no, are, no, we are the last the ones, possible people. We're the ones doing the yelling. So, but even then, when I think about that, going into a scenario, it's just like, is this worth it? Is this, is this worth it? And as somebody who feels very strongly about the, the efficacy of vaccines, I still have children who are under 12, 10 to 15 of them, children who are under 12 and don't want to go somewhere and don't want to become infected and then bring it back home to them who can't be vaccinated. Yeah. So this is a, it's a policy that needs to happen to these places. Okay. I agree. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> I, I, I mean, you can't really, there's not like a debate to have here. There's no, there's no dissent. I mean, there's a lot of places where there's, <laughs> many well, other people would take up this debate. Just not with you. They're not on this podcast. <laughs> yes. Well, so are most people. <sighs> most, most people are listening to this podcast, actually. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.